Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. John Westover, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Bill? Wonderful. Uh, just to give some background to those who are listening to this episode, uh, John Westover is a member of FAIR. And of course, my name is Bill Real. I'm a member of FAIR as well. And one of the objectives of FAIR Mormon's mission is to help those with difficult questions provide a framework for them in which that they can lead with faith. And what one of the things we talked about as we led up to this episode was a discussion on what is doctrine and what isn't. And so, John, maybe briefly, if you could just introduce a little bit about yourself so that the listeners get a feel for who you are. Uh, sure, I'm happy to. Um, again, my name's John. Uh, I'm a professor of management at Utah Valley University, where I've been teaching for the past four years. I teach human resource management, organizational behavior, and organizational development courses. Um, I've lived in Utah now for 13 years, uh, but I'm actually from Ohio, Oregon, and Missouri. My wife is from Southern California. We uh, just both met as undergrad students at BYU and uh, never escaped the pull of Utah since. So we've been here um, the last 13 years. We really love it here, and uh, I have enjoyed my time. Uh, at Utah Valley University. And for those who don't know, my name is Bill Real. I am one of the contributors uh, currently to the Fair Mormon podcast. And so by the time you see this episode, there's probably several other episodes that I have um, done that uh, have made their way onto that site. We hope that this conversation will be beneficial to you today. We want to talk about doctrine. And so, John, I wondered if maybe you might start us off explaining a little bit about some of the things in church that we see that we sometimes perceive to be doctrine. And then from there, I'll try to explain why this is a problem and we'll kind of take it from that point. I mean, this is a tricky question and I, and I, I just want to be careful uh, in how we approach this, um, not just, you know, from the, the beginning as we're talking right now, but as we go throughout and share quotes and, and discuss moving forward, I think you talk to 10 different members of the church and you ask them, you know, what is doctrine? Or you ask them, you know, is this specific element that we experience in the church? Is this doctrine? You'll, you'll probably end up with 10 different answers more often than not. Uh, and so I think that's part of why we're having this discussion is to try to understand what really truly is the foundation of, of what we believe. What is the doctrine and what is everything else? And, and as we, as we uh, discuss this, I don't mean in any way to undermine or diminish uh, anyone else's belief or you know, what they feel strongly about, and uh, certainly we're all free to disagree with each other. Uh, so I just want to make that clear up front. So if, if you disagree with what I'm saying, that's just fine. If, if I say, you know, if, if for my opinion I feel like something isn't necessarily doctrinal, but you think it is, I think that's also just fine. I think what we're really going for is just to open up the discussion, create a space where people can 
uh, recognize that it's okay to disagree, um, that we can, that honest, intelligent, well-meaning individuals will not always see things the same way, and that's okay, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ allows for that, and actually, in, in my opinion, encourages that. So I just wanted to say that up front, kind of as an opening disclaimer. Now, to answer your question, you know, what do we see in the church, and what is doctrine, what is not doctrine? I think we, we see all sorts of things from from teachings, we have shifting church culture, we have shifting policy, shifting practice, even changing understandings and interpretations of, of even foundational church teachings. Uh, these things have changed over time. They will likely continue to change over time. And so the question is, what is truly changing? Is it the doctrine that's changing? We, we talk about an unchanging God. So when we see these types of things shifting, what is really shifting? Is it our understanding that's shifting? Uh, is it the nature of God that's shifting? And, and I think all of that's important in the discussion. Within the church, we, I mean, we just, there's so many examples of, of various things that, um, I think sometimes we take for granted and we might assume that they're doctrinal or sometimes we might even teach that they're doctrinal, but uh, I'm not so sure there's really a foundation for that. Simple things like passing the sacrament, uh, with your right hand. Uh, that's certainly cultural. It's certainly common practice. It's certainly the norm within the church, uh, to do it that way, but I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine it really mattering other than just trying to, to conform to social norms, um, that are being practiced today. So passing the sacrament with your right hand, for example, um, today in the church, there's a big emphasis on, uh, the uniform of the priesthood, so to speak, uh, wearing a white shirt and tie, conservative tie, um, you know, looking sharp, looking like businessmen. This, this is something that missionaries do, um, the elders do. This is something that certainly the, uh, church leadership, general authorities do. Uh, and uh, while it's certainly uh, church practice and certainly uh, relevant to the culture, I, I'm not so sure we can say that that's doctrinal um, simply because styles change over time. Emphasis on those types of things certainly change over time. So I think that'd be another example of something that uh, really is, is not has no doctrinal foundation, but is just cultural. It's, it's, it's common practice and normative in nature. Um, another one would be, you know, female attire at church, uh, whether they wear pants or a, a, a skirt or a dress or flip flops or jean skirts or, you know, whatever the case may be. From time to time, we hear uh, messages from general authorities about, um, you know, certain attire and that's fine. The question is, is that opinion? Is it doctrinal? Um, are we all bound by uh, all of those things? Is it okay for people to be wearing different color shirts to church, to wear different footwear to church, so on and so forth? Uh, another common one would be facial hair at church. Now, certainly missionaries don't have facial hair. General authorities and, and church leaders don't have facial hair. But is it doctrinal? Is, is there some sort of fundamental prohibition to having facial hair in God's law? And it, that's that's something that, you know, I would argue is not the case, and it's simply a cultural uh, practice, uh, something that's been emphasized over the last, you know, 40 years or 50 years in the church. So, anyways, those are just a few examples of kind of um, cultural or practice issues. There's certainly lots of shifting policy uh, within the church as well. Um, just in 2010, a new uh, version of the handbook uh, was released that had some fairly significant changes in church policy which, you know, we don't have to get into here, but those things do change. And so then the question is, well, what's, you know, why do they change? And uh, I think, you know, my, how I wrap my mind around that, how I make sense of it is it's simply uh, church leaders uh, trying to find uh, ways, the best ways that they can uh, come up with and that they're inspired with to uh, effectively run a massive global church. Uh, and sometimes that requires change in strategy and change in approach. So anyways, that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. But And I want to I wanna follow up with what you said in the beginning. Obviously, uh, the things that we talk about, our opinions, they, they don't represent fairs or the churches. It's just you and me having a conversation and trying to share a point of view that perhaps allows uh, folks not to get hung up on some of the things that we're going to talk about. And so the reason I wanted you to explain that first about some of these things we run into is that for many members of the church, the box of things that they consider to be doctrine in their mind, is a lot bigger than what I think the church would even say it is for itself. And so what we run into, and I'll give an example from, from my own life. I grew up outside the church. I joined the church when I was 17. And one of the things that I caught on to very quickly, at least I thought I did, 
was that the doctrine of the church was that evolution was absolutely wrong, incompatible with the gospel, and a heresy, as Elder uh, McConkie, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, said in one of his talks. What I did, John, was I went to a museum with my children, and walking through the museum, I made this big deal out of telling my kids how how wrong evolution was and how how people were were discussing this idea as fact when really it was a theory with, with a lot of holes in it. And I'll preface this, I think members of the church are absolutely free to believe one way or the other, and I would never impose my beliefs on someone else in regards to evolution because, as we'll get into, it's not a doctrine of the church. But some leaders had shared some opinions and had said that, that it was not compatible with the gospel. And so as I'm having this conversation with my kids and telling them this, a few weeks goes by, and I start doing some reading on my own, and I come to my own personal conclusion that evolution uh, has some room, that there might be, that might, that, the, that evolution might be true, that uh, evolution might be a scientific method in which we as human beings uh, got here, or that other creatures or animals that our Heavenly Father has created uh, have adapted over time. Now, I know I'm rambling, I'm going on and on, but I want to make the point that when I made that decision all of a sudden that I believed in evolution, and I thought the church had a stance that evolution was wrong, all of a sudden I was stuck saying to myself, well, if evolution is true, then the church can't be true. And those are the kind of things that people get hung up on. And uh, and so I guess I'll just ask you before maybe I share a few more thoughts, John. Do you have any thoughts on, on things that maybe you got caught up on uh, in your life that, that have kind of posed that same problem with you? Well, I think uh, I, I definitely grew up uh, in a household that emphasized the same types of things. And so, you know, I grew up with that mindset as well that, uh, you know, for example, evolution was a heresy. Um, I remember, you know, in my home growing up, uh, we we had a, a copy of Mormon Doctrine that actually sat on the back of the toilet. <laughs> and so as a young teenager, I remember, you know, if I was, um, you know, in the bathroom, that I, I would actually pick it up and I would read through uh, all of the different uh, sections. And I just loved it. I ate it up. I, I just thought it was fascinating. And I, I felt like I was learning a great deal about the doctrine. Um, as I got older, I, my perspective changed a bit. And, uh, and I, while I saw um, that book in particular and, and, and teachings of, of different um, church leaders as very informative, very well-informed opinion, uh, I didn't necessarily see them as binding doctrine or the only way to be able to uh, to see an issue. Uh, so that was certainly the case for me, uh, and uh, as you know, with evolution and as uh, as church teachings that I grew up with related to certain um, scientific discoveries, um, but other other things as well. So so yeah, just to to reinforce what you're saying, um, I think it's very common, you know, and, and maybe part of this is is just part of growing up and maturing in. Uh, in your own um, mental capacity and, and ability to deal with um, complex issues. But, you know, as, as I got older, that certainly was the case for me, that I started to explore things more. I started to see more room for differing opinions. Um, and I and I think a lot of members do the same, and that's why you, uh, why you have uh, different people thinking differently about different topics, and, which is, which is just okay. So. Right. And, Maybe get back to the, to this issue specifically, just to use this kind of as a framework, maybe to set up the rest of our discussion. I, I honestly deeply feel like every member of the church has the freedom to, on an issue like evolution, to choose whether they want to believe in it or against it, and that, that there is no shut door case on one side of that uh, discussion or the other. But that in my taking one side of that argument, I felt like I was at odds with the doctrine of the church. And in reality, what was going on behind the scenes that I didn't know of, because as you pointed out, there there are talks, there are books that are written by general authorities where they share their opinion or the gospel maybe in a way that they under understand a certain issue. And yet in the meantime, well, while books were out there and talks were out there that were condemning evolution, there were also members of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve who were completely comfortable uh, with evolution being true or at least being a possibility. And what I ended up having to do was to dig down to figure out what the actual official position of the church was. And when we go to the first presidency statements, they've released two on evolution. And both of those statements essentially say that the official position of the church on evolution is that they do not have an official position. And I know that sounds kind of quirky, but the whole idea was that as members of the church, that, that each of us are allowed to, to, in this issue, pick whether we'll believe it or not, 
and it doesn't jeopardize our membership of the church. And the reason we're having this discussion is that we feel like a lot of members sometimes get hung up on things that they don't necessarily have to, that they'll draw lines in the sand where they're not needed. Yeah, Bill, I would just add um, that I think I think what you just described, you know, being the case with evolution specifically, I think that applies, you know, generally to just the intersection of faith and science, you know, more generally. Um, in, in most cases where we have seeming contradictions between spirituality or faith and then evidences of science, you know, we have the ability to choose, you know, what we believe. And in most of those cases, the church doesn't have a stated official position. There may be common teachings. There may be things, you know, common understandings that are, that are shared. But, you know, whether or not it's an official position, uh, those often don't exist. We often are at, we often have the ability to seek truth wherever we can find it, whether it be from spiritual sources or from scientific sources. And there doesn't need to be that contradiction that sometimes uh, I think people create, like you said, uh, drawing lines in the sand that really aren't necessary. And I want to follow that up, John, with uh, a conversation about, because this is the other half of this coin, the other side of this coin is is the idea of when is a prophet or an apostle speaking as a prophet or an apostle. And a lot of our members of the church who grew up in the church, I mean, you sing the song in primary, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, he knows the way. And a lot of members of the church will sometimes overstate the case where they think that Every time a leader says anything, that it is the will of God. And so I wonder maybe if you might share a few thoughts on how you differentiate between when a prophet is speaking as a prophet and when our leaders are speaking as human beings. Yeah, I mean, that's a really tough question. And honestly, I think I think the answer to that is going to be very individual to every member. I know for me that uh, first and foremost, I, I try to be open and receptive to what I hear from church leaders. So as I'm, you know, reading conference talks or listening to conference or, or reading an address, you know, in a BYU devotional or a CES fireside or whatever the case may be, that I try to maintain an open mind, um, to what is being said, even and maybe particularly if it's something that I might tend to disagree with, you know, off the bat. Um, so if, if they're sharing something that, you know, based on my own views on the world, you know, it, it seems to conflict a little bit. I try to be open-minded. Uh, and approach what they're saying, you know, from a, a faithful perspective. And, and then I, I try to uh, seek uh, confirmation by the Spirit that what they're saying um, applies to me. Um, I think we'll get, in a little bit, we'll get more into uh, uh, some of the, the quotes from recent conference talks about what actually is doctrine. So I, I don't want to go too much into that now. But uh, basically, if I hear the same message over and over and over again consistently from all the brethren, you know, over time, that's something that I need to very carefully consider uh, to, you know, whether or not that is doctrine and particularly how it relates uh, to me and my personal relationship with Christ. And if the spirit confirms that in my heart, uh, then I know I can walk forward in faith, feeling good about, you know, the decision to act in a certain way uh, or to not act in a certain way. Um, but that said, it, it's, it's, it's kind of messy. I mean, sometimes I'm not exactly sure what I think, you know, when, when someone says something, particularly if, they share an opinion or they, they, they uh, espouse a teaching that isn't repeated, you know, by other authorities and other leaders over time. Then I, I feel like I'm left to, to my own critical thinking process and, and I have to weigh what they're saying versus everything else I know and understand and, uh, and decide, you know, how I want to act, you know, as, as led by the spirit. And so it, it is messy. Uh, it can be complicated. I, for me, it's, it's rarely completely black and white. Uh, but I think that is part of the richness of living the gospel, you know, and, and, and trying to move forward in faith that I won't always agree with or understand what, you know, someone is saying. But that doesn't mean I can't find value in it, that I can't move forward in faith based on what is said, even if it's something I don't fully understand or agree with. Does that kind of get at what you're asking? It does. And, and there's two points you make that I want to maybe just stress and share just a few thoughts from my point of view, which is... One, recognizing that when we follow the prophet, we're sustaining these these brethren, these apostles in the, the first presidency and the prophet of the church as prophet seers and revelators, as men who are called of God and, and ordained to do a great work. And I'm not in any way trying to give members the out to throw out the things that, that these men teach and testify of and talk of. And you made a great point that even even if it's something that you don't necessarily agree with, that you'll still listen and take it seriously 
and then go back and seek confirmation from the Holy Ghost. And I think the key to this whole discussion is that talking about what is doctrine and what isn't is not trying to give members the permission to throw out what they don't like, but rather to give them the responsibility to go back and seek the Spirit, to seek the Holy Ghost, to be accountable for being worthy of the Holy Ghost, and to get their answers directly from Heavenly Father to testify of these things that that our church leaders speak of and testify of uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit. And I remember being part of a lesson at one time. This is the second thing I was thinking of, which was I was a part of a lesson one time where I was trying to teach people that they need to live by the Spirit. And I had a couple people in a class that I was teaching talk about how no matter what the brethren say, that that we should follow them uh, in everything they say, and that everything they say, that we should trust them enough to know that they are speaking as prophets and apostles under the will of the Lord. And the story that came to mind was one that Elder Christofferson used in his talk, where he talked about Brigham Young. And this was, uh, I think, two years ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, in conference. It was Elder Christofferson's talk, The Doctrine of Christ, so that anybody listening could look it up. But the quote is this. He says, to this point, runs a simple story that my father told me as a boy. Now, I don't think Elder Christofferson's talking here. I think he's quoting somebody else. But it has to do with Brigham Young. He says, I do not know on what authority, but it illustrates the point. His story was that during the excitement incident to the coming of Johnson's army, Brother Brigham preached to the people in a morning meeting a sermon, vibrant with defiance to the approaching army, and declaring an intention to oppose and drive them back. In the afternoon meeting, he arose and said that Brigham Young had been talking in the morning, but the Lord was going to talk now. He then delivered an address, the tempo of which was the opposite from the morning talk. And I thought that was incredible because it right away helped me to understand that there was flexibility, that not every single thing a prophet says is the mind and will of God, and that and that in this instance, Brigham Young being corrected by the Lord says the exact opposite of what he had said previously. And so I hope people can see that there's room there. Right, and you know, I I can't speak for the brethren, but I just I can't imagine that they would be comfortable with this idea that every word that comes out of their mouth is is doctrine or the will of God. For for crying out loud, you know, they're they're human people, they're human beings, they're they they have they're just like us. Only they have they have a mantle on them uh, because of a calling, uh, and with that uh, comes extra responsibility and accountability. And so they're very careful in what they say. Um, certainly, and they, they are very well thought out in what they say, um, but that doesn't mean that every last word that comes out of their mouth can be held to that kind of a standard, and I, I, I very much doubt that they would claim as, as much. Um, that just puts them in an incredibly, it puts them in, in, a, in, a, in a position that I, I'm not sure is fair um, for them to be put into. Um, I also just wanted to, to reemphasize something you just said, uh, and that is that we, we all really do have a personal responsibility for our own spirituality and our own relationship with our Heavenly Father. I can't outsource that responsibility to the brethren, though in some ways it might seem easier to do so, where I can just say, well, they've said to do this, so then I just have to do it. Now, there are worse ways to live, I suppose, but I, I think that uh, God wants us to develop our own mental capacities. I think he's given us the gift of agency and he wants us to exercise our agency and exercise our faith. And uh, sometimes that means that we have to we have to move forward without really understanding or knowing and just trusting. And uh, and we have to uh, own our own spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, and so, it, you know, if, if I if I choose to just jettison all of my own thinking um, on the first mention of anything by a church leader, uh, I'm not sure that's doing justice to the gift of agency. Uh, or, or the role that agency plays in our eternal progression. I like the way you, you worded that. And, and one of the things that maybe you're speaking to when you say that, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to live on every word that a prophet or an apostle in the church says, but that in some ways we tend to want to have everything spelled out for us. We want to know directly every single thing that we can do and can't do within the church. But I don't think the brethren want us to live that way. I think they want us to use our agency. And when we when we look to the leaders for everything to be spelled out, in a sense, we're kind of handing our agency over to them. And so there is this responsibility that God has you know, given us to seek out the Holy Ghost and to, to be able to live by the Spirit. And one of the things that makes it perhaps unsafe to assume everything that a leader says is doctrine is that we'll sometimes draw these lines in the sand, as I was talking about earlier with evolution, it also gives us sometimes the, 
freedom that we really shouldn't use to begin to draw lines in the sand for other people. And so one example I was thinking of when President Hinckley was interviewed by Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes, he was asked a question about the word wisdom, and uh, Mike Wallace in the question threw in, along with the things that the word of wisdom uh, precludes, he also threw in soda, and President Hinckley gave a blanket answer over the entire question that, yeah, as Latter-day Saints, we stay away from those things. And a lot of Latter-day Saints took that to mean that we can no longer drink soda pop, and all of a sudden you had lots of Latter-day Saints going into their meetings on Sunday and telling people that, that caffeinated drinks were forbidden by the word of wisdom. But when the church was asked directly if that if that was uh, the meaning that was trying to be conveyed and that that was a new principle within the doctrine, the church right away said, no, that's not something we've spelled out and that's not something that, that we've asked all members to participate in. And, and so I wanted to, to go to you, John. You've got a couple of quotes, and uh, the one is from Elder Uchtdorf. And then I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you've got one from Hubie Brown, and I've got one from Hubie Brown I want to share as well. And maybe you could share with us what Elder Uchtdorf thinks on this idea and we can begin to have a discussion on uh, on some of the flexibility that we have. Sure. Um, so this first quote from President Uchtdorf, I believe it was the October 2009 conference. Uh, the talk uh, is titled The Love of God. He says, There are so many shoulds and should nots that merely keeping track of them can be a challenge. Sometimes well-meaning amplifications of divine principles, many coming from uninspired sources, complicate matters further, diluting the purity of divine truth with man-made addenda. One person's good idea, something that may work for him or her, takes root and becomes an expectation, and gradually eternal principles can get lost within the labyrinth of good ideas. Uh, so really what he's getting at here, or at least the way I understand this quote, what he seems to be getting at is what you were just describing. Um, that that uh, we all have our own agency to adopt for ourselves the shoulds or should nots by which we live, but that doesn't mean that we can force those onto other people. Uh, and in fact, it's it's not uh, appropriate for us to do so. Uh, and, and it can become extremely easy, particularly if if someone holds a position of authority within the church on, say, a local level. They can very quickly create a long list of shoulds and should nots that aren't doctrinal in any way. They just simply are things that this individual has found works for them and their family. Maybe it's good advice. Maybe it's wise counsel. But that doesn't make it the same thing or synonymous with what actually is doctrine or what should apply to everybody in every circumstance. Um, so I think he's he's warning us and uh, uh, suggesting that we need to be careful of uh, both accepting what other people say in that way, but also in, in perpetuating um, some of those types of teachings. And Elder Uchtdorf is one I think that if you listen to any of his talks over the last several years, you'll find that he is hitting this kind of principle over and over. And and so the next one I wanted to share was one from Hugh B. Brown. And Brother Brown was one of these uh, leaders within the church who always seemed to be just kind of offering a little more flexibility on issues and, and seemed to see things maybe in a different light at times that but I think by reading some of the things he's spoken of, it kind of opens our eyes to the, the the breadth of the gospel and how far and wide there actually is the ability to to take in different principles and understand them in new ways. Brother Brown, uh, Hugh B. Brown, said this, and this is, goes back to the idea of questioning the things were said, not not simply because we disagree, but but to test things against the spirit. He says, I admire men and women who have developed the questioning spirit who are unafraid of new ideas as stepping stones to progress. We should, of course, respect the opinions of others, but we should also be unafraid to dissent, if we are informed. Thoughts and expressions compete in the marketplace of thought, and the competition of truth emerges triumphant. Only air fears freedom of expression. This free exchange of ideas is not to be deplored as long as men and women remain, humble and teachable. Neither fear of consequence or any kind of coercion should ever be used to secure uniformity of thought in the church. People should express their problems and opinions and be unafraid to think without fear of ill consequences. We must preserve freedom of mind in the church and resist all efforts to suppress it. And so he's essentially reiterating an idea that I think you're going to share maybe later on with with Elder Uchtdorf, but one of the things Elder Uchtdorf hit on in the last conference that this also talks about here with this quote with, uh, with Hubie Brown is that people shouldn't be afraid of diversity, that within the church there is no idea that we should all fit a mold and be the exact same, but that we should have the freedom to be different from one another, and that we shouldn't look for everything in the gospel to be so spelled out that we will follow anything 
but rather to to use our agency, to use the gift of the Holy Ghost, and to be testing and trying things. And when we find truth, when we find something that the Spirit bears strong witness as truth, that we not be afraid to at least ask questions and see if others are finding the same thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I just want to follow that up with another quote. by. It's attributed to Hubie Brown from uh, An Abundant Life, the memoirs of Hubie Brown. Uh, he says, uh, While all members should respect, support, and heed the teachings of the authorities of the church, no one should accept a statement and base his or her testimony upon it, no matter who makes it, until he or she has, under mature examination, found it to be true and worthwhile. Then one's logical deductions may be confirmed by the spirit of revelation to his or her spirit, because real conversion must come from within. So, I, you know, I think that kind of goes back to how I was trying to answer your question uh, a few minutes ago uh, about how I approach, um, you know, what's taught by the brethren, um, the prophet and the the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, that we absolutely should respect, support, and heed the teachings. But we cannot and we should not simply base our belief and testimony upon it in and of itself. Uh, in, in getting back to your quote, uh, he's very clearly warning uh, against, uh, you know, uh, putting up walls that, that, that block the freedom of the mind uh, or opportunity for people to really truly, honestly, and sincerely question and explore truth for themselves. And that even can go, I guess, when we hear these things said, and we're talking about a prophet being a prophet when he's acting as such, and to to be trying to live by the Spirit, and to look at those things that are taught uniformly and consistently, one of the things that the listener might want to do is then say, well, the thoughts you're sharing are from apostles, but not from the president of the church. And so maybe to back up some of the things we're talking about with a statement from uh, one of the presidents of the church, Brigham Young made this uh, comment uh, while in the tabernacle uh, in Salt Lake City, and this was on January 12th of 1862. He said, I am more afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God whether they are led by him. I am fearful that they will settle down in a state of blind security, trusting their, their eternal destiny in the hands of their leaders with a reckless confidence that in itself would thwart the purposes of God in their salvation and weaken that influence they could give to their leaders, did they know for themselves by the revelations of Jesus that they are led in the right way? Let every man and woman know by the whisperings of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in a path that the Lord dictates or not. And here's my thought. If we just accept the things our leaders say blindly and follow them just for the sake of that, there's very little progress in that for ourselves. And there's also going to be, in my mind, a little less commitment to the things that are being taught. Whereas if we were to go to the Lord and we were to say, you know, Heavenly Father, President so-and-so or Elder so-and-so taught this and I need a testimony of it as truth. And then the Holy Ghost bore witness of that, that principle as truth. Then I would think in my mind, and it seems to hold true in my life, that I am much more prone to go forward with confidence, with motivation, determined to then carry that principle out more fully in my own life. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fantastic, and um, again, it it just gets back to this uh, the importance of owning our own our own spirituality and our own relationship with our heavenly Father. I, I think one of the things that might be brought up is, you know, what if someone teaches something, um, you pray about it, and uh, you don't have a spiritual confirmation, or you feel even after diligently seeking, you feel that the answer is to do differently than what maybe you were instructed or taught. And then how do you deal with that? Um, what what are your thoughts on that kind of a, a question? That That's a good question. And my first thought was, as I think about the revelation in 1978, where Spencer W. Kimball, president and prophet of the church, received a revelation to give priesthood to all worthy males, that up until that point, there were members of the church in Africa and other places who were unallowed to have the priesthood, that they were prohibited from having it. And I think to myself, what if I lived in 1972 or 1974 or 1977, and I'm, and I'm thinking about that idea, and I go to Heavenly Father and I pray to him, and I say, Heavenly Father, is it, should all of your children, all of, all of the, the brethren within the church, have the opportunity to hold the priesthood? And... Perhaps Heavenly Father would have given me some spiritual, let's just assume he does. He gives me the spiritual confirmation that, that that is a true principle. 
at that point, do I have a right then to demand that the president of the church make a change? Do I have the right to to force the church's hand? No. Do I have the right to raise a question? Absolutely. And there was a documentary done by the church talking about this great revelation. And in the documentary, they talked about how many black Latter-day Saints in Africa were writing the church and asking them, pleading with them to ask the Lord for this change. And the documentary made the point that that these brethren were looking forward with faith to the day that this event would happen, that some of them had been given a spiritual experience to know that someday it would occur. The difference is whether they were forcing the church's hand or not, and they weren't. And so some will say that it's appropriate, it's okay, if we know know something or think something to be true, to put pressure on the church. And here's here's where I'll differentiate from that, and maybe we're going down a complete road that we uh, we shouldn't, John, but, but the story I think of is in the New Testament where Peter doesn't want to give the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul, one of the other apostles, but lesser in authority than Peter, argues with him. Other apostles unnamed also join in that conversation and essentially tell Peter that he needs to change his mind, that the, that the rest of the church should, um, rest of the church should be extended out to the Gentiles as well, that the gospel should be given to them also. And here's the thing, that pressure is not what caused the change to happen. The forcing of Peter's hand is not what made it happen. What made it happen was Peter went up on the rooftop and took a nap. And in that nap, he, he received a, an inspired dream. And when he woke up from that dream, he was met by two men at the door of his home, and he went to meet Cornelius, a Gentile. And it was upon seeing Cornelius face to face that all of a sudden he was given the interpretation to his dream and was shown that all of the world, Gentiles and Jews, should have the gospel extended to them. And so to take that long story, I guess, and make a long story uh, into just a short understanding, I think at the end of the day, if we're going to be believers that the church is led by revelation, I think it's okay to ask questions. I think it's okay to share one's point of view. But I think at the end of the day, we need to leave it to the Lord on his own timetable to then give to the the president of the church and those who counsel with him uh, the opportunity to receive that revelation from God and not to have their, not to feel like they're having their hand forced by you or me. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for me, because there certainly are times, you know, where, where, you know, despite having an open mind and, and listening, um, and trying to lead with faith and, and all these things that I still just come to a place where I, I see things differently. <laughs> and, and when that happens, the, the way it makes sense to me is that I have been given my agency. Um, I have been given, uh, I have the light of Christ. I have my conscience. I have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and I need to seek diligently for understanding and wisdom. Uh, and then I have to move forward and be true to myself in a way that's consistent with what I have experienced. Um, and so I just need to own my decisions. You know, I can't, I can't place the responsibility for my decision making on anyone else, whether that be in following the brethren or in choosing, uh, you know, to not agree with them in some things. Ultimately, I have to, I have to own it. And as long as I'm sincere and seeking and trying um, and moving forward um, the best I can, I I think that's as much as anyone could expect. I think that's as much as God could expect. And so there may be times where uh, my personal belief is a little bit different than uh, what may be taught. And uh, and I'm okay with that, you know, for me personally. <laughs> that doesn't mean I, I go out and shout from the rooftops or try to convince everyone else to see it my way. Uh, but for me personally, I can own that decision and I can own um, how I move forward. And, uh, and I think that's what, you know, how we each individually need to approach um, how we deal with our own faith, our own belief, and how we try to live the doctrine of Christ. And maybe a story to kind of back up what you're saying. I remember several years ago, uh, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, I remember coming across a talk and a principle was taught in that talk, and it wasn't by a prophet, it wasn't by an apostle, it was just a member of the church. And they were sharing a principle, and I remember listening going, oh, that, that sounds like manna, uh, to my mind. That is this, whatever, this guy, this principle, this guy's teaching is beautiful, and it rings true, and so I sought Heavenly Father's confirmation, and I remember thinking to myself, this principle that he's sharing, this, this is beautiful, this is, this rings so true to my soul. At the same time, I don't run out and, you know, tell people in the church that they have to believe things this way. I sat back and I was patient and I, I remember thinking to myself, this is something I'm going to hold on to and think is beautiful, but we're going to wait and see what happens. 
And over the last uh, few years, as I've listened to general conference talks that have touched on this principle, I've I've recognized that the things being said are very much in line with this idea that I I had come across. And so rather than forcing anybody's hand, I simply sat back and said, okay, I have something that I think is true. Let's see if Heavenly Father starts inspiring other people around me to think these the same idea, to, to think of this principle in the same way. And again, I think the whole idea behind it is to recognize that the Lord's timetable isn't our timetable, that just because we recognize that something is true doesn't mean it's time for the entire church to have that revealed to them at this very moment. And so sometimes we just have to hang on to things and just wait and see what happens. I would just add to that that I'm a believer that what, you know, I, I hesitate to say this because I, I don't mean to <laughs> undermine any 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 authority or any, what anyone's thinking. But I am a, I'm a believer that what is true for one person at times is true for them and only them um, and may not be true for someone else uh, in a different situation, in a different context, a different time and place. Uh, and so, you know, for you to have that kind of personal, um, spiritual, you know, uh, confirmation about that principle, uh, I think is beautiful. I think that's what, um, God wants us to seek. Um, and it may never be a universal principle that would be taught to everybody, but that doesn't make it any less valuable, um, for you individually. Um, of course we need to take care in, uh, in this sort of thing, but, uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, that what can be helpful, um, to, to help, what can be useful and helpful for one individual to move down the path, uh, of faith and, and spirituality, um, you know, uh, might be unique to them at times. And that's okay. Uh, but if it moves them in the, in that direction, uh, I, I can see that as something that's from God. That's, that's a great thought there because had, had the principle that I had grasped uh, a truth on, at least for myself, had nobody ever come forward to teach that, it doesn't take it away from me. And, and I think the point you're making too is that as we, as we start delving into, as individuals, start studying out what is doctrine, what isn't. And let's say I receive a personal revelation for myself that living a, a certain dietary restriction is truth for how I should live the word of wisdom. It doesn't give me the right, therefore, to walk into Sunday school and to tell every member of that class that in order to keep the word of wisdom, they have to be doing this thing that is outside of the bounds of what the official doctrine of the church is. Right. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's begin to kind of address what doctrine is and isn't officially from the church's standpoint. And I wondered if you would mind, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, Elder Anderson's quote from, I believe it was two conferences ago. And I believe it was a talk trial of, uh, of your faith, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, sure. He says, uh, Elder Anderson says, a few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There is an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the presidency and the quorum of the 12. It's not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. And, and to maybe follow that up with the other one, as we're talking about it's those things that are taught by all the brethren unitedly, then we should look for a second witness, and and that can be found by going uh, a conference before that, where Elder Christofferson, again in the same talk we mentioned earlier, Doctrine of Christ, said at the same time it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such. And so I see room in, in the quote you shared and the quote I just read that if we were to read a book written by a general authority, you mentioned Mormon doctrine sitting on the, sitting in the bathroom. And when we talk about that book or other books that share very strong opinions, what Elder Christopherson and Elder Anderson are saying is, look, don't throw the whole thing out. There are lots of inspired and good things written by the general authorities, but that we ought not to take every single word found in a book or an article or a talk and automatically assume that it comes straight from Heavenly Father, that it's his will or his or his mind, and that if we were to to recognize that that we don't have to accept every single word, it gives us the freedom to to go through these talks, the books that general authorities write, the things we might find on BYU speeches website, 
and rather than giving them just an overall stamp of approval, begin to look for the deeper things within those talks and books and not to not to get ourselves in trouble by overstating one person's view as being official and binding on the entire church. Yeah, and uh just to add to this, I you know, obviously the uh, the words of Elder Christopherson and Elder Anderson um probably carry more official weight than what I'm about to share, but if you go to uh, mormonnewsroom.org and search uh, approaching Mormon doctrine, uh, there's a very nice, fairly short and succinct um article whose uh, audience is, is uh, the news media, um, basically trying to help. And it, it was released, it looks like, back in uh, May of 2007, uh, basically to, to try to help um, those recording on Mormonism and the church to understand, you know, what is doctrine, what is not doctrine, uh, as they're trying to differentiate and, and talk about what, what they're reporting on. Um, and really, it, it reinforces just what uh, Elder Anderson and Elder Christopherson said in their talks, uh, but there's another little piece, and so I'd recommend that anyone, you know, who has a question about this go and look that up and, and read it in its entirety. It would just take a few minutes. Um, but another a piece that I want to focus on, in addition to what they said, is uh, in, in this newsroom um, release on approaching on the doctrine. It says, some doctrines are, are more important than others and might be considered core doctrines. I think that's also essential as we're um, trying, to, particularly if one is struggling to reconcile um, seeming contradictions or shifts and changes over time. And they're trying to understand what really is most important. What is at the foundation, uh, you know, of our personal belief and our personal faith? Um, recognizing that there are, there are things that we would consider to be core doctrines. And, uh, later down in, in this article, uh, it shares a quote by, um, Joseph Smith. It says, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the, the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. Um, so there, you know, is a, is a fairly succinct statement about what really truly is at the core of our doctrine. And, and when we find ourselves coming into contact with seeming incongruencies or uh, statements that don't quite seem to fit with our understanding or our, our belief, um, we can always come back to what is the core, what is at the core. And I think it's a useful exercise for every member for themselves to, to go through and kind of, uh, trim down, you know, the body of belief that they, that, that they hold, everything that they hold and pertaining to their belief as a member of the church and really tear it down to what is at the core of what they believe. What is that core doctrine? Uh, you know, for me, it comes back to, uh, the ministry of Christ and the importance of faith, hope, and charity. Um, those are the very foundation and the core of everything else that I hold true and believe. And if I can, you know, come back to that in times of um, question, in times of uh, exploration and uh, questioning other aspects that, that I might come in contact with in terms of church teachings, if I can always come back to that core foundation and core doctrine, core belief, then I, I feel like I can be on safe um, footing. And Nephi seems to say the same thing, Second Nephi chapter 31. Uh, he says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you've gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for you have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. He then lays out this whole idea that the gospel is to press forward with steadfastness, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. And wherefore, if you press forward with steadfastness, I'm sorry, press forward feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end. Behold, thus saith the Father, you shall have eternal life. Now this whole chapter leading up to this, this, these two verses I just quoted talk about faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. And then it ends here talking about relying wholly upon Christ, his mercy, uh, his merits, his grace, pressing forward with steadfastness, having a perfect brightness of hope. And then it ends with a really cool verse. It says, And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby a man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end, without end. Amen. So even Nephi tends to want to take the gospel and make it as simple as possible, and have it wrap up those core things that you're talking about. And uh, and maybe just to, to start talking about how we can trim doctrine down, as you speak of, you, uh, you've got a quote there from Joseph Smith, uh, Brother Joseph, and obviously going back to the original things that he taught, 
can kind of shine a light on how he thought about some of these principles. Would you mind sharing that? Sure. Uh, before I do that, though, just to kind of follow up with what you're saying, I, I think, again, you know, one of the useful, one of the reasons why it's a useful exercise to, to look at, you know, our belief, the body of belief, you know, culture, policy, practice, doctrine, everything, you know, and looking at all of that and then trimming it down to what really is the core doctrine. I think the value in that, it's not to say that we need to jettison our personal beliefs, you know, or that, you know, I, I hold this to be true for me or whatnot. Um, you know, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying that anyone, you know, uh, who, you know, if we were to start talking about more obscure doctrines or whatnot, uh, I'm not suggesting that people need to abandon, you know, their beliefs in those things. Uh, but when I think of doctrine, I think of what is the foundational core teachings um, and truths of godliness and of spirituality and of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. What are those key core things that are absolutely essential um, to us as we try to become become more like uh, the Savior? Um, and as we can kind of trim away the rest of that, the other stuff, we don't need to abandon it or, or, or jettison our belief, but simply be more firmly grounded in the core. Um, and then when we come across things that might be seemingly um, inconsistent or contradictory, and some of the non-core issues, then we're in a better place to reassess, re-examine, and uh, reconcile and come to a better understanding of how it really truly relates back to our, our personal um, spiritual journey in this life as we try to return to live with our Heavenly Father. Um, and so that, that's what, you know, I, I see this exercise, you know, of really understanding what is doctrine, uh, why it's, it's so important. Uh, it gets us back to the basics of, of really understanding who we are, our relationship with deity, uh, and what the future holds for us are our, 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 our infinite opportunities and possibilities as as, a, as children of our Heavenly Father. Now, sorry, to get uh, to the quote from Joseph Smith, I think what this, well, let me read it and I'll kind of tell you my thoughts. Um, he says, uh, in, in relation to creeds uh, and creeds of his day, creeds in the church, he says, I did not like the old man being called up for erring in doctrine. It looks too much like the Methodists and not the Latter-day Saints. Methodists have creeds which a man must believe will be asked out of the church. I want the liberty of thinking and believing as I please. It feels so good not to be trampled. It does not prove that a man is not good is not a good man because he errs in doctrine. And I think going back to even the very foundational stories of Mormonism and the sacred grove experience for Joseph, and those earliest um, teachings, there seems to me at least to be a, a consistent emphasis on how God was not pleased with the creeds of man, where they, they kind of create this, this, uh, very narrow conception of what God is, what religi what religious, uh, what religiosity is, what spirituality is, um, and, and they create this very, uh, narrow, uh, mindset in which to perceive, uh, the divine. Uh, and what I think Joseph is saying here is that, you know, that's just not part of, that's not a part of Mormonism. We, we welcome Truth seekers, we welcome people with a questioning spirit. We question, we welcome people who see things in different ways. We don't have a creed. You know, we have the articles of faith, we have the temple recommend questions, but those really aren't, you know, if you, if you compare that with, say, the creeds of other faiths, it's not even comparable. Um, they're just not remotely the same thing. And, uh, we, we have so much more flexibility, uh, because of that to truly seek out all truth, anywhere we might find it, whether it come from spiritual, from things of a spiritual nature or things of a scientific nature, anything in between. Joseph is clearly stating here that we should not be focused on rigid, narrow creeds, but rather be more open and expansive. Here you have the, the founding prophet of this dispensation saying, you know, and obviously we don't want to overstate the case and say that those who not only err in doctrine, but impose their errors on others, or that people who creates who how do I want to say this John those who whose behavior is a match for apostasy that the church has no right to to handle that in the way that it deems appropriate but rather that we ought not to get so caught up in the little differences that each of us believe in and then see that person as being outside of the church and rather be a little more comfortable with some diversity among uh, among each of us as Latter-day Saints as we fellowship together. As we think about doctrine, we already we labeled it essentially as those things that, uh, as Elder Christopherson and Elder Anderson pointed out, and as the newsroom article talked about, it is those things that are taught unitedly, 
that we ought to focus more strongly on the core items. Uh, so trying to wrap up and, and see doctrine as this flexible topic that we can now allow differences among different people within the church, at least little differences that don't, that don't change the core things and give people a little more flexibility to be a little different than the person next to you. I was looking at, um, some of these quotes that you and I were, were putting together as we considered doing this, this discussion on this topic. And Hubie Brown and Elder Uchtdorf have a whole bunch of these. I want to, I wondered if you might share the one from Brother Brown, and then I want to share just one little part from the one from Elder Uchtdorf, if you don't mind uh, you doing that. Yeah. Um, so, so this quote from, uh, President Brown, um, comes from a BYU, a BYU devotional in 1969 entitled, an eternal quest, freedom of the mind. He says, we have been blessed with much knowledge by revelation from God, which in some part the world lacks, but there is an incomprehensible greater part of truth which we must yet discover. Our revealed truth should leave us stricken with the knowledge of how little we really know. It should never lead to an emotional arrogance based upon a false assumption that we somehow have all the answers, that we in fact have a corner on truth, for we do not. So, Okay, well, go ahead. Um, you know, he, he says it so much better and more eloquently than I would be able to say it, but just to, to reemphasize what he's saying. Um, and it's something I, you know, as a, as a college professor, I, I kind of say this to my students every semester. Um, he says there's an incomprehensible greater part of truth, which we must yet discover. That's true inside the church. That's true outside the church and the sciences and the social sciences as well. And I tell my students, you know, the more I learn, whether of a spiritual nature or of a scientific nature, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know squat. <laughs> I just, I know so little. And the, the greater understanding I receive, all it does is inform me that I really, in the grand scheme of things, know so little. And I think what he's doing here is just trying to encourage us to constantly be, be um, seekers of truth wherever we can find it, uh, that the church does not have the corner on all truth, yet we do claim all truth that we can find. And that's an important uh, idea as well. Right. As Latter-day Saints, right, we, we believe in modern revelation. We sustain our leaders as prophets and apostles. And yet if anybody ever claims to have any truth outside of what we currently have at the moment, we, we balk at that. We, we resist that. But in reality, as you point out, and as Article of Faith number 9 talks about, there are many great and wonderful things yet to be revealed. And that means that truth will come. And it will come from many places, whether it be in science or whether it be from other uh, perspectives in the world, and that we ought to be prepared to wrap our arms around truth and not put a wall up against it simply because it wasn't already written in our scriptures or wasn't already, already showing up in, in one of our manuals, that we ought to be open to it. And I want to follow that up with the uh, with the quote from Elder Uchtdorf. I just want to share a, a small part of this. This was from his uh, CES broadcast, What is Truth? And he, he essentially is backing up what Brother Brown said in the quote you just gave. He says, yes, we do have the fullness of the everlasting gospel, but that does not mean that we know everything. In fact, one principle of the restored gospel is our belief that God will yet reveal many great and important things. And so once we acknowledge that there's a whole lot more to come, that it's going to be majestic and, and superb and have a far and wide reach that great truths are yet to be delivered, then all of a sudden we can be a little softer to change. We can be a little more flexible to things that come in the church. And so when we see uh, new things happen or new changes come about, whether it be something as simple as the new Come Follow Me manuals for the youth or whether it be something as dynamic as sisters giving prayers in general conference, that we can be accepting of that and wrap our arms around it. Yeah. There's another quote by Elder Uchtdorf. I, I want you to, if you don't mind reading that one, and then if you don't mind... Also helping us maybe finish up, there's a quote from the four titles that uh, that I think ends well in allowing each of us to be a little diverse. And uh, and wondered, John, if you might finish us uh, off by sharing those two and some of your thoughts with them. Sure. And actually, I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to share three, if you don't mind. Okay, please. <laughs> um, so President Uchtdorf said in a CES fireside talk back in January of 2012, he says, "Brother and sisters, as good as our previous experience may be." If we stop asking questions, stop thinking, stop pondering, we can thwart the revelations of the Spirit. Remember, it was the questions young Joseph asked that opened the door for the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. 
How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? I think that really just goes well with what you were just saying. We need to be open to, to new revelation. Um, another uh, quote from that same talk, which I really like, he says, Latter-day Saints are not asked to blindly accept everything they hear. We are encouraged to think, to discover truth for ourselves. We are expected to ponder, to search, to evaluate, and thereby to come to a personal knowledge of the truth. We sometimes don't believe the truth or reject it because it would require us to change or admit that we were wrong. Often truth is rejected because it doesn't appear to be consistent with previous experiences. Opinions or truths of others contradict our own instead of considering the possibility that there could be information that might be helpful and augment or complement what we know, we often jump to conclusions or make assumptions that the other person is misinformed, mentally challenged, or even intentionally trying to deceive. Unfortunately, this tendency can spread to all areas of our lives, from sports to family relationships, and from religion to politics. So, how can we find truth? I believe that our Heavenly Father is pleased with His children when they use their talents and mental faculties to earnestly discover truth. Over the centuries, Many wise men and women, through logic, reason, scientific inquiry, and yes, through inspiration, have discovered truth. These discoveries have enriched mankind, improved our lives, and inspired joy, wonder, and awe. Um, you know, it, it's just so incredibly clear to me as I read uh, this talk from President Hubdorf in its entirety, as well as these quotes that I just shared, um, that he's absolutely um, encouraging us to be truth seekers in every aspect of our lives. Uh, and even to add, before you get to the, the last quote from the four titles, Elder Uchtdorf, rather than say, hey, you guys show up every six months for general conference and we'll give you the truth, he's saying you go be personally responsible to seek out truth in your own life. Not that you throw away what the, what the church leaders are saying. Not that you, not that you don't show up every six months prayerfully prepared and ready to, to feast at the feet of, of living prophets and apostles, but rather that, that, that doesn't let you off the hook for the other five months and 30 days that you're personally responsible to be seeking out truth in your own life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I guess just to conclude, the, the final quote from President Uchtdorf that I want to share is from, uh, from April conference uh, of this year, uh, where he's really encouraging uh, an openness amongst the membership um, that we uh, be more willing to accept and even encourage diversity in our thinking. Uh, he says, but while the atonement is meant to help us all become more like Christ, it is not meant to make us all the same. Sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We can even make the mistake of thinking that because someone is different from us, it must mean that they are not pleasing to God. This line of thinking leads some to believe that the church wants to create every member from the same mold, that each one should look, feel, think, and behave like every other. This would contradict the genius of God, who created every man different from his brother, every son different from his father. Even identical twins are not identical in their personalities and spiritual identities. It also contradicts the intent and purposes of the Church of Jesus Christ, which acknowledges and protects the uh, moral agency, with all its far-reaching consequences of each and every one of God's children. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are united in our testimony of the restored gospel in our commitment to keep God's commandments, but we are diverse in our cultural, social, and political preferences. The church thrives when we take advantage of this diversity and encourage each other to develop and use our talents to lift and strengthen our fellow disciples. Again, he's, he's clearly making a call uh, for us to be open to and welcoming and even encouraging diversity in thought um, as we move forward. We, we are all united in our testimony of Christ. We are united in our desire to follow Christ's example. Um, we're united in our desire um, to serve our fellow man. Um, there's lots of room for differences in belief. We are not a religion with a creed, a, a strict set of beliefs. But we have a core doctrine that guides us and directs us to develop ourselves spiritually to help us become more like uh, Jesus Christ. And I, and I think that's really what President Dorf's getting at. And... Uh, recognizing the strength that comes through diversity is something that I think, uh, you know, at times we can do much better at in the church.